Good morning, Eric. Morning, Leo. How are you doing? I'm sick. Yeah, sounds like it. I'm sick in uh, many dimensions. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try our best to get through this, but it's that time of the year. We've done this two times. So this is our third time, Eric, that we're going to do a year in review. Not necessarily we're talking about New Year's resolutions yet, but we wanted to talk about what we thought about this year and our productivity and how we feel that this year has been different than last year. What do we think we could do next year to improve? What do we think we've improved upon this year? What do we think we've not so improved upon this year? What are like some differences that you saw between 2018 and 2019? Between 2018 and 2019, this year has been a little bit more transformative for me. So I've been spending a lot more time trying to reduce the number of things that I want to focus on and try and create an impact on because I have a lot of projects going on at any given time, or at least that's been true historically. And I make progress on a lot of them a little bit. And so I'm trying to find ways to find the intersection of some of the things that I am really excited about and find ways that I can move them together as one with more effort and more energy and then anything that can't overlap and try and put less effort into those, if not like cut them outright. And then the ways that I've been measuring progress, namely that in 2018 and prior working on my own, I really didn't have any means of tracking my projects over the course of the year. I would have checklists and stuff like that, but nothing that I could really reflect on a year at a time and see what sorts of progress that I was making. So trying to get a little bit better about longer term progress and tracking of that. What about you? Yeah, I know what you mean. I feel the same way. We'll get into it, but I think like this year for me was more about slowly finding more focus. And like you said, one thing we don't value enough is like, for instance, what I think is best for my business and what I should do, but also like what I find exciting about and being a little bit more honest with myself as far as that. I think this year has been a lot easier for me to focus and a lot easier for me to get things done. I'm pretty happy, even though one of my goals that I had last year, I did not meet, but I also feel like that goal was a little bit misinformed, which we'll get into later. But yeah, that's awesome. The long-term stuff is important, but staying staying focused on your short-term goals as well. It seems like that's been working out for you. Yeah, I kind of wish I had spent a little bit more time earlier in my career focusing on how to measure progress over longer periods of time because sitting at a desk job and having people feed work to me gave me this shield of ignorance and just assuming that the work that was given to me was the most important stuff and it's what I should be working on. And then I never had to worry about measuring anything except am I getting a promotion or is it time for a raise or anything like that? Yeah. And we're taught that like early on, I think just with the way like education works, it's just everything is kind of sped food to us. We get an A, we get a B, we move on to the next grade, we get a raise, you know, we get assignments at work. But then like once you're self-employed, uh, the onus ends up being on you to like really make sure that you are staying on task with whatever your long-term goal is. Yeah, yeah. And so not having a whole lot of training in that, it's 
been a little bit of a challenge and it's been a slow thing for me to realize that I needed and then also to find out what works well for me. Measuring the week-to-week or day-to-day stuff has gotten really easy because that a lot of the time is just routine and task lists of like the most important things that I want to focus on. But bigger picture, it's like over the course of time are the most important things over the course of three months or six months or a whole year actually moving me directionally closer towards a bigger goal? And are there more effective ways or like a shorter path to get me to that goal? Like those are the kinds of things that I'm trying to figure out now. Yep. Have you had any changes in the way you do things as far as tracking is concerned or keeping your to-do list active? Yeah. So this year I am trying to actually write out and I use Notion, which I think is an awesome tool that my friend Katie introduced me to for creating basically checklists, but at a year level, very like course level thing, objectives that I want to achieve over the course of the year, Mm -hmm. knowing that it's a year long goal that I would later have to break down into like milestones. Like where do I want to be with these over three months, like a quarterly list. So I will have another list that's my quarterly checklist and then a one month and then a uh, week to week. And then the idea is that at each of those milestones, I will do some review and then figure out if I have learned anything new that would change the direction of where I want to be in a year or have I gotten off track and do I need to do some course correction or are things like some of the ideas that I had just not working out and need to be reconsidered? How long have you been using Notion? For the purposes of measuring my progress on these kinds of goals just this year. Okay. Yeah, because you've been really, whenever we talk, it seems like you've been a big fan of it and it seems like it really fits in your workflow. Yeah, I say that, but I really only use it for those checklists and as a uh, web clipper. So I know there are so many other things. Like uh, in the past, my business partner and friend Katie and I have worked on uh, software and other business projects together. And we've used it as almost like a um, Kanban or like workflow. And she uses it for other things that she can explain so much better than me, but for like keeping track of like calendars and other types of things like uh, car maintenance and stuff like that. So really, really powerful as more than just a fancy checklist and web clipper. But like I haven't gotten to using those features yet. So I have talked quite a bit about Todoist and quite frankly, I don't think I've used it as often as I used to. Pretty much it's become my wife and I's shopping list, really. So I don't think I use it as much for the more professional uses that I had before. And I've actually switched over to using a spreadsheet. So I just use a spreadsheet and I create a new sheet every week where I just duplicate the previous week's sheet and then I write down everything I want to get done and then add things to that spreadsheet. And then I kind of prioritize every week or so everything and then kind of sort from there and kind of guess like, okay, how long is this going to take me? How much can I fit in? And typically I'll do like the top five items that week. So that's kind of been my methodology over the last, I want to say since May or April, and that's been working out really well. And then also I have a mastermind that I'm in as well as, you know, Eric and I do checkbacks every so week. We're starting to do that. I have a couple of groups 
that I'm in where I post my to-do list. So that way there's a little bit of feedback and uh, accountability. Um, and that's kind of been my methodology to tackle my to-do list over, you know, the past few months. Yeah. And we didn't really uh, talk about this yet, but having that accountability and also just a person to talk about what your last week looked like and what sorts of things you're doing in the coming week. And then also for me, those bigger milestones has been really nice because it adds a little bit of uh, reflection. Someone is there not only as like accountability, like you have the scheduled check-in, but also they can ask hard questions and maybe or hopefully in like polite ways, but also making sure that things that you may have wanted to correct in the past, like uh, whatever reasons that you come up with for doing the work actually get executed on. So instead of just looking at your list and being like, oh, I only got like 90, 90% of my checklist done, that's okay. I'll just carry over 5% and then having that list build over time. There's that other person who can look a little bit more objectively and be like, no, that's not actually sustainable. Like you need to do something about that. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it gives you a good way to keep track of what's old and being willing to drop those things off, but also being willing to like really prioritize things every so often while looking at your long-term goals. Mm. And what about the uh, mastermind groups have many people in them, right? Yeah. Current one I'm in is about three to four. We meet up every week and pretty much chat. And then every so often we do a hot seat where we talk about our goals and they people kind of like give you honest criticism about like where you should focus or what you should be doing or what's distracting you. And that's been super helpful. I did one a few months ago and I'll probably be doing one in a month or so. Okay. So it seems like there you have more, more minds who can actually be working on brainstorming or solving problems and thinking of questions to ask. Yep. They're also in a similar industry and what they do is pretty similar. So that's helpful as well because they have some experience in that area. Yeah. And probably like a more variety of experience. So exactly. Gotcha. Okay. So is there anything about the work that you do or that style that you like, or is like, Someone who might be interested in a mastermind instead of just having a check-in with one person, is there anything that you could think of that might distinguish like why you would choose a mastermind group with three or more people versus just having a check-in buddy? I think with the mastermind, what's nice is that there's a little bit more overlap because with just having a one person, sometimes people can't show up on time. And like there's an actual, we actually do like a conference call at the same time every week. And that that makes sure that we stay on task. And there's always that same meeting every week. And there's a sort of regularity to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. How long are the meetings? One hour. And we have a timekeeper and we take notes every week. Okay. Yeah, I've switched to doing uh, async check-ins. So it sounds like some of it also might be personal or just knowing what works best for you. Yes, exactly. And, you know, some people, async works, especially with how crazy schedules are. I like having that face-to-face meeting and actually talking to people and telling them what's up. So that could be helpful as well. Okay. You want to dig into your 2019 reflection? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. Okay. So I looked at my blog post from last year, which I'll link in the notes. 
my year in review for 2018. And a couple of things that really caught my attention. So I had some family health issues last year, which that seems like that's really improved quite a bit. And that was a huge, you know, hurdle to get over was having to deal with that. Like this was a fairly like normal life year, which means like I didn't have any interruptions, any big family events that interrupted my regular work schedule that I had to take care of. As far as like my health, I pretty much worked out almost every day this year. I want to look at my habit journal and see like how I did as far as working out or at least look at my health stats for my activity. But it seems like I pretty much worked out every day this year. Like very rarely was there anything that interrupted it. Even when I went to like Piers in New Orleans, I brought my little stair stepper thing with me, which was fantastic. So I got to like go on my stair stepper, hook up my headphones and play Mario Kart while I was working out for an hour. I'm really curious about this portable stair stepper thing. Can you post a link somewhere so that we can yeah. share and look at it? Okay. I have it at the house. Um, you know, we've been talking about my app project that I've been working on Heart Twitch. And like, that's pretty much I, when I am streaming my health stats while playing Mario Kart, that's usually my exercise machine at home because it's super portable and you just, I can just have my Switch controllers on my hand and race Mario Kart and, you know, share my uh, health stats on Twitch while I'm doing. Uh, Mario circuit or something like that. So I have that at home. And then I also have a membership at the local Y. So I use that quite frequently. And so that's like, as far as like the health stuff, I feel like things have gotten a lot better in that case. We'll probably get into it a little bit later, but I know you're big into stretching and that's been something I've been more focusing on later this year is uh, stretching. Cause I'm more worried about like having injuries later on just because of the frequency of how much I work out. And then maybe more focusing on strength training as much as I'm focusing on cardio. So that might be a little bit more of an emphasis next year, but and maybe like dieting as well, which I'm kind of experimenting with right now. But yeah, like health is good. That seems to be going really well. And then as far as my big goal last year, which was to put out like some sort of mini course that like did not end up working out. And I think part of that was the fact that it ended up being. Like it ended up being a lot of work that could have gone towards nothing. Let me explain. So like, I think with something like that, I think I'm better off spending more time researching the audience and then just putting out a random course. In many ways, I feel like I kind of did already like a mini course this year. I put out some major blog posts and did some speaking engagements. And that almost is just as good, if not better. But of course, I'm not selling anything other than the actual like asking for people to give me money, like pretty much content wise. It's nearly the same amount of work without the actual selling. And I think if I wanted to actually sell something, I think I'm better off spending more time doing audience research, which is something I want to prove upon next year. I think my writing output has been pretty decent. I pretty much got a big blog post out uh, once a month. So that's been a big improvement. Our podcasting schedule has been pretty consistent. I've been putting out a podcast episode pretty much once a week. By that, I mean this show, but also my other show, Empower Apps, where I talk about Apple stuff. And then I've also noticed like that actually my writing improvement, I've seen benefits of that in the fact that my audience has actually grown. Like my website visitors have actually grown quite considerably on my main websites. 
So that's kind of like, yeah, it's been a good year. And I think like it's given me some interesting thoughts on what to do next year and where to focus on. Yeah. So it seems like it's that good combo of you made progress on the things that you want to keep doing more of next year, which is a really good place to be because it shows the success this year and then sets you up for more of the same and doing even better next year, hopefully. Yeah. And what has worked out has really given me guidance on what to do and what to emphasize next year. Like, I think next year I will improve emails, both like the mailing list stuff, but also personal emails. And then I've started doing a little bit of video. So I've posted some video episodes on my other podcast. I had one that I uh, just released recently, and then I had one in September as well. So I'm going to be doing more solo videos that will be also published as podcast episodes as well. I want to do more like live streaming as I work on code projects. So things like that. Yeah. And also the timing of us speaking with some amazing guests, Allison, Sophia, and Laura also is probably putting you in a really good, hopefully like very excited place to actually start doing more and like trying new things with your writing next year. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to take a look at Laura's templates and you know, if you haven't looked at those, definitely you should take a look lauralopich.com slash okay productive. Cause uh, she knows her stuff when it comes to that. So, and I think like going back to what Sophia and Laura especially said, I think cold emails and direct sales are still something I should spend more time doing. But, you know, we've talked about this, Eric, but like some of that stuff, it's mentally and emotionally draining. And I think Laura had some good guidance on that last episode, just about like making sure to like batch, but also limit the amount of time when you do those emails. Yeah, that's something that I'm constantly struggling with. And I've really appreciated hearing uh, different advice from different people who have experienced that and have found ways that they can keep writing either despite the emotional or like energy drain or finding ways to kind of circumvent it. Yeah, I'm hoping that being able to just stick with it long enough that it's something that I'll be able to uh, punch through and kind of like those aha moments when you're learning how to program and you kind of like finally figure out how to solve a problem that you've been working on for a week. Yeah, I totally agree. Like if I can use the nerd term grok, but I want a grok email, cold emails, especially like I want to have a full understanding of it. And that takes practice, which is really hard. But like, I feel like at some point I'll be like, okay, now I get this. I can get moving with it. Like, I do think I'm better at it now than I was a year ago. I use spark for my email and I really like it because it has some snooze and templating features. So that's really helped me manage my email and stay in touch with certain people that I want to stay in touch with. Yeah. Actually talking through this, uh, there are a couple of things that jumped out at me. One is I really appreciated also that our guests talked about emailing as a form of outreach because a lot of what I am going to try and focus more on in 2020 is doing like community building and outreach. And I guess I had never considered emailing people for the purpose of outreach more so than like I've met someone in person and like just doing a follow-up. I guess that was my past mindset, but now trying to think of it as an active, like find out who might be interested in this in the area and who might be interested in presenting or volunteering or something like that, or even just attending one of these events. Yeah, if anything, we've talked about using Buffer for social media. 
I want to use Buffer, but I feel like I'd rather spend more time doing email rather than doing social media. I think like the trend has been a return to email as a way to reach out to people. And I think like there could be some room for like text messages or Slack or like LinkedIn for some of the stuff or even Facebook messaging. But I think like the era of just using social media for like, I don't know if that era ever existed, but I think social media, you have to be big enough before it's worth spending your time doing it. Yeah. I'll just add also that I don't really like any of the tools for social media scheduling posts or creating the content for them. Just none of them have really spoken to me. They are just these really cumbersome tools that you just have to use because everything else out there is just as bad. And again, speaking from personal experience. And another thing is that a lot of them you have to pay for or you get very limited features for free. Whereas like the tools for email, a lot of them that have been recommended to us or that are useful are just like free Chrome extensions. You know, and I'm willing to pay a good amount of money for something that actually works. But like, if I don't see the return on my investment, it's like a waste of my money and my time. You know, inside baseball, I know you've had issues with Instagram. And like, I've seen issues with like Facebook and Instagram when it comes to just spam comments and spam likes. Like that doesn't give you anything like that's not helpful if you have 50 likes and they're all from like bots. Yeah. And then there was one other thing that I wanted to touch on before we move on is something I have been learning to do throughout the year as well is when I am having challenges with tasks like doing outreach that I find is just really difficult. It just drains me. And then I don't get past that like draining experience or it's not something that I recover from quickly. It's taking a step back and wondering like how has my past experience, not just the past year, but like why might this be particularly challenging for me? Because usually I'm a kind of person who can jump into a lot of different things and pick it up well enough and be excited about doing it. But there are a handful of things that I've discovered that it's because I have had a certain background or a certain experience for a decade or more. And it has set me up for not doing this thing well. So I'm having to not only learn this new thing that is uncomfortable, it's also unlearning things that I have 10 or 20 more years of experience of not having to worry about or doing it in a way that just like reduced a lot of the pain that I'm feeling now trying to do it in a new way. Like the emailing, Having a desk job as a programmer, anyone who would email me was someone I already had a day-to-day working relationship with. And so there was no like icebreakers or anything like that. Emailing them was as natural as having a conversation with you. But now I am in the situation where I don't have anyone I work with day-to-day. I am having to reach out to people that I maybe see like once or twice a month. And it's a lot different experience for me. And being able to identify those kinds of situations helps me be a little bit more forgiving of myself that it's taking a long time to unlearn and like grow and give myself time to do so. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. I just think like when you have a desk job, it's pretty much you're like going back, kind of spoon fed who to email or who to talk to if it's an outside client. 
usually there's some sort of standing relationship there. And like the struggle that I have is like, usually it's with people I don't even know or have never met or half a world away. It's like, I got to contact this person out of my own, you know, gumption. And that can become really difficult. Yeah. So uh, I've just discovered that there are lots of times these struggles are myself holding me back, but it's myself having years and years of experience in a certain way. Yeah. You touched on some things that you want to do for next year, like doing more of the emailing and then doing more writing in general. Is there anything else? You mentioned that the course, like creating the course, didn't exactly pan out. Was there anything else? Yeah, just about that. I think I want to spend more time researching the audience that I sell to, like doing more research into what beginner and intermediate Swift developers, which is kind of, I do Swift development want to do more research in that area and finding out what people really struggle with and where their pain points are. So that's kind of one spot I want to focus more. One thing I learned from microconf back in April was like writing frequency is a nice habit to get into, but it's really like having that research before writing a post is super important. So I want to do that, not just getting into a writing habit necessarily. What about finding out where those people are going? To learn. Is that something that you already feel comfortable with? I already feel comfortable with that. Yeah. I already have a good pulse of where that is. And going back to like social media stuff, like it's pretty easy for me to like post it to several accounts. So that's there. But part of it is also building that email list and emailing people as well when I have a new article out and taking advantage of that. Gotcha. So that is pretty much my progress for this year, kind of uh, doing a little bit more of what I feel like I'm good at and doing a little bit less of what I don't feel is going to return a lot on my investment. How about you, Eric? What do you feel like this year has been like 2019? This year has been, well, I guess it's uh, sufficient to say that it hasn't gone exactly how I planned, but I think that's not the point. Like planning doing the course correction is more of the point, right? To kind of like learn and grow. Yeah. It never goes as planned. Yeah. Uh, That's a rarity. For me, it has been refining this idea of how to actually measure my progress and being a little bit more reflective of things that I'm doing now that I'm struggling with and things that I maybe don't want to do anymore and finding ways that I can step away from those or cut back on them. and then. I think another challenge that I've been having, and this is a pretty recent discovery, is being okay with asking other people for help. You struggle asking people for help or you struggle that you need help? I don't mind so much that I I need help, but being able to ask people, especially people that I don't have a strong relationship with. So there are a lot of other organizers for tech events in Lansing. And it has taken me some time to be comfortable actually just having the conversation of asking them to either do things or ask them for things, ask them for opinions that may just end up being criticism, but I have to be okay with because I want to keep getting better. And I want the community in Lansing, the tech community, to continue to grow and thrive. And I want more people to find it. And I want more people to learn and do awesome things together. So I need to get past a lot of that stuff. What do you think makes it challenging 
like asking for help? Are you worried about rejection or what do you think it is? There's a little bit of that, but I think more so it is again that I have been in a position the last 20 or so years where the problems that I'm solving are a lot more technical in nature. And so I haven't had a strong need to ask for help in a long time for my like day-to-day duties. I can just go on the internet, read documentation for coding problems really well, and figure it out. And so now I'm working with a lot more like people-oriented problems instead of computer-related problems. And so I've got this like total shift. Right. And I am just out of out of practice. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, like when we are kids, we don't know how to do hardly anything. And so we're constantly learning and we're asking for help. And some of us have this mindset like we refuse it, but I was okay with asking for help and wanting people to explain things to me. And after sitting behind a desk and solving coding problems for 20 or more years, I at some point lost a sense of doing that naturally. And so I need to get back to that. Well, I think as software developers, like we try to just learn the stuff on our own, right? Like it's like, why ask for help when I've been in situations where like asking for help is kind of discouraged. And so then you learn to just look up the stuff yourself and that can become really difficult. And then uh, I think another issue that I struggle with is like, sometimes you don't get any response back and you don't know if people are just like, don't want to respond or they're bothered by you and you're kind of nagging them. What I've learned, especially as I've received more emails, sometimes just people put you at like the bottom of the list, not because they're being mean or cruel or anything. They just like don't have time to like respond to you and they forget. And like, I think the whole following up thing has merits. People need to be like told things several, several times in order for them to remember and acknowledge you like, because you're not the most important thing in the world. And it's just like, you gotta like sometimes email people every so often to remind them. Yeah, that's very true. And especially some of the uh, challenges that I want to address are making the events feel more welcoming to a broader set of people in Lansing. And then I want to be very conscious of who I'm reaching out to and be respectful of their time because While I do need to become more comfortable asking people for help, I also want to respect that I may not be a priority for them. And so being able to navigate those is like doubly challenging for me right now. But it's something, it's definitely an area that I want to focus a lot of my time for uh, next year. So what are some things you want to do with like local meetups to improve them and make them more welcoming? I'm still doing brainstorming and this is an area where I'm already doing more outreach into the community. I opened up a suggestion box and am getting more people from every kind of slice of life that I can imagine to try and submit ideas. One of the big ones has been childcare at at events. And I want to make sure that I can offer that safely, maybe not at all events, but I want to make sure that people who have kids don't have to make a choice on whether they can come out to an event or whether to let their spouse come out or if they just have to skip it outright because the timing of an event is just too late in the evening. So I want to play with uh, like practically everything about the tech meetups. At Beer City Code earlier this year, I saw a uh, keynote speech by 
Chloe Condon, and she touched on a lot of these ideas for a meetup that she started where just trying to very specifically stop doing the things that everyone else is doing. Interesting. So there is just this matter of getting everyone else's ideas on what that actually would look like because it's a sense of like, okay, don't want pizza at events, but what does that mean? Does it mean that we just pick sandwiches? I don't think so. It probably means having a rotation of foods so that you can meet a whole lot of different dietary restrictions because maybe not everyone wants sandwiches. Same with uh, timing of events. A lot of the events are from like 7 to 9, which is pretty late in the evening and is definitely not very doable for kids who go to bed at 7.30. And so the parents can't go either. So more like morning meetings, more lunchtime meetings, more just a little bit earlier in the evening type of things. Maybe even more like talk with a company that has 200 tech employees and see if we can just have a tech event that is a meeting that they can like still say they were at work. I mean, there are tons of different ways. So saying no, even just temporarily for the things that we are already doing still means that there are potentially like an infinite number of things that you can do instead. So it's like right now I'm trying to think through, okay, but realistically and practically, like what does that actually mean? And it's still going to be a big list. It's going to be a very experimental year. People in the community may or may not like it. I don't know. But hopefully shaking things up like that is going to find some things that work well and help me learn which things like, absolutely, let's never do that again. (laughs) Nice. I think one thing is just be like open to them not working out and realize that they are experiments. I think as long as you're open to that, I think you should be good. Yeah, I'm spending a lot of time on like one slice of what I'm doing. I want to do the same sorts of things with teaching. So the thing that I still mostly get paid for is tech education, teaching web development at MSU and then also outside programs. So I want to start thinking a little bit like the program that I run is also already like very not atypical. Students come into class, I lecture for two hours and then they go and do homework and then I give them a grade and then they can't do anything about that grade. I don't do any of that. I try and make it very practical, but I want to take it the next step forward and figure out other ways that I can actually get the students learning in a more practical way that is more like how they continue to learn when they're not at school. Because most of their life, whether they realize it or not, is not going to be at school. They're going to be learning on the job and they're going to be solving problems for work. And I want to model the classroom experience after that. And I want to give them resources that they can take from my class and apply that to the rest of their lives. What else do you want to do this year, like, or make changes to your schedule? So I've realized that looking at my week to week sheets, the thing that I am most consistent at sticking with is like things that only involve me. And then things that get further and further away from me like that involve a lot of other people, tend to be a lot more spotty. So I want to try and double down on focusing on some of the things that, like I want to build good, healthy, like relationship habits of like staying in touch with friends, even if they don't live in the same city, because I am terrible about that. And same with family, except for my wife and my daughter, none of my family lives anywhere closer than an hour. Many of them are states and states away. So I want to find ways to maintain relationships in better ways. 
with people who live really far away. And then also like my wife travels a lot. I do a lot of evening events. And so I have gotten to this point where I realize like I am getting in a lot more time with my daughter than I think most people who have a six-year-old get in, but it's at the expense of spending time with my, my wife. And I want to be able to go on more dates with her and see some of the other people in my life who are really important to me that I will just need to put more energy into making those things happen and having those vulnerable conversations. And I let them know that these are things that we used to do and we took for granted when we were in a different life situation, but now things have changed. And so we need to change up how we can make these things happen. Have you looked at Derek Sivers' post on staying in touch with hundreds of people? No. I'll post that in the links, but he has some good guidance on like how to stay in contact with people, whichever way you want to, phone call, text, or whatever. But it might help you give you some guidance because that's definitely something I want to do this year is like purposefully stay in contact with people and go through my contact list and not just like business, like take it like, uh, and I'm not just talking about that, but like also personally, like stay in contact with people, which I think you're getting at is like building those relationships. Yeah. And if any of them are listening, I just want them to know that relationships change, but I still care about you and I want to find ways to continue to be a friend, be a husband, uh, be a good partner and spend quality time with all of you. Yeah. And I think it's like harder nowadays because we just fill our lives with stuff to do. And I think life isn't just about doing stuff, but also about, you know, relationships. I think as you get older, you realize how important that is. Yeah. And what a time we live in where we actually have the time where we can worry about these sorts of things. I mean, I am not spending 90% of my day actually struggling to find food. Right. Right. I have the capacity. It's just a, a balancing act. We're really lucky, but it's just unfortunate that the way we take advantage of it is by just spending more time doing things that we don't need to do. We're spending more time at work or, or things like that. Anything else you wanted to cover as far as your year in review? I think uh, one of the advantages of keeping everything in checklists and Notion is that I can print it all out and then I, d I can go on vacation and stuff like that and be completely away from my screens, but still have these checklists and measure them over time. So what I do is after each week, I just tally up and see how many of my habits did I successfully meet. And I tend to stick to that like um, James Clear, Atomic Habits, where I did okay as long as I don't miss it two days in a row. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I will go through the checklist at the end of a week or at the end of a month or quarter or whatever, and I'll highlight everything in green where I met that sufficiently. And then if I didn't, but I made some progress, like be yellow. And if I did nothing, it gets a red stripe over it. And then I tally how many green ones. And so overall, my weekly habits, which are things like exercise, diet, doing a little bit of learning and spending quality time with people. Over the course of this year, I've averaged out 70% of those habits have been met, which I would have hoped and liked for 80%. I don't know why. Maybe it's that like 80-20, just like 80% sticks in my head as a nice number. But I also like that 70% gives me a lot of room to grow and like reconsider and try harder next year. Yeah, I think some of that stuff in that book can be relooked at again because there's some really great habits that I use streaks to manage my habits. But yeah, there's some other stuff with his templates that I could definitely use for guidance. Cool. 
So Eric, we've talked about like the past and how we feel we did in 2019. What are some things that you want to do in 2020? What are some changes you want to do as far as like cutting things out? What do you think hasn't worked out in 2019 that you feel like, okay, like I'm not going to be doing this in 2020. It hasn't worked out for you. There are a handful of things and a lot of them have really just uh, been pretty recent discoveries. So one of them, I have been trying to hone in on the smallest number of things that I can make a lot more forward momentum on. And so that means that cutting out everything else or finding strategies to cut back on them so that they still don't have so much overhead on my life. Because I don't really consider myself a serial entrepreneur, but if you have three open businesses, (laughs) they take paperwork. You have to do something with them. Or they take mental energy, like it's something nagging in your head, right? Yeah. Even if effectively you're not doing anything to keep them moving forward. So it becomes a matter of like, okay, it's time. Let's just close some of these down. So there's a nonprofit that I started up with some people to promote more like a online giving and celebrating local nonprofits that are just kind of the unsung heroes. Like they're out there doing like wild radical things that just blow people's minds. And I wanted more people to discover them. And so I want to close the nonprofit, but still let people know, like some of my volunteer services, I can still just volunteer some of the technical know-how for getting people on like Facebook for nonprofits and stuff like that. So I don't need all of that administrative overhead of running a nonprofit in order to volunteer my time and help other charities. And then I already mentioned asking more people for help will also be another way where I'll spend a little bit more time asking for help. But well, hopefully it means that I'll be able to spread out work and get more ideas from more people and have more success without it being one person having to exert so much energy and time in order to keep something moving forward. And then there are some other things like uh, social media. I already ragged on a lot of the tools that are out there. This one is kind of strange because I do a lot of like event promotion and I've started, like I do the uh, the episode artwork for each of our episodes. And I also Which is create... gorgeous, by the way. Thanks. So I was just looking at what the art looked like two years ago compared to what I'm making now. And I like it so much better. So that's an area where like creating the art, doing a little bit of design has been fun. And it's a little bit of a a spot for me to grow. And I get a little bit of a joy out of. But the social media of like coming up with written content and researching hashtags and finding out how to reach people like that stuff is the opposite Like I don't get a lot of joy. I don't feel like I've actually grown because it also changes over the course of a year or even faster. So it's just this like never ending mundane chore that I don't ever look forward to. And so it ends up taking me a lot of time and I want to be able to cut back on a lot of that. And I think too, like as much as we do get some hits from that stuff, like has it really like resulted and we'll get into that a little bit later but like has actually resulted in more like subscribers or people listening to the podcast like i don't know if that's necessarily true and i think like oftentimes we think about oh getting those numbers up but like part of it is like actually getting getting those folks to like have a return on that investment and if you don't have it it's like 
it's really kind of a waste and a distraction from your time. Yeah, I've tried mitigating that in some ways. So I've started doing like just giving tips. So instead of trying to hint at things, just actually say what some of our advice is so that even if no one actually goes and listens to the episode, at least, you know, over like the course of Twitter or Facebook or Instagram's lifetime, however long they're out there, there's this little tip that's sitting out there that people could find someday. And even if they never listen to our stuff, maybe they'll get value out of some of our most important tips that we actually put out on social media. So, you know, that makes me justify actually putting in the time and actually sharing what we're doing a little bit more lately. So ironically, I think like cutting out meetups and local networking, I kind of hinted at this last year in my 2018 Based on what I do and just the geography, there hasn't been any like return on investment for that. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I practiced for my talk that I'm doing at CodeMash at a local meetup, and I like doing that. But as far as like thinking that the return on that investment is going to be major in any way, is kind of kidding myself. And also, like just the organization of having to do local meetups, it's work. Like it is work. It's mental energy. And so that's something else like I have to keep in mind is like, is this match with anything of what my business does and what I do and what I intend to do uh, in the next few years? And if that answer is no, like then it's really a distraction. One of the things we haven't like talked about is that like by having these distractions, these things that don't really help you, it's taking away from doing more of the things that you should be doing. Once I thought about it that way, it was a lot easier for me to like understand that it's not just like, oh, it's a distraction, like, but I'm still doing what I like to do, but it's actually like, I'm not doing less of what I should be doing. And that I think is a way that helped me like be able to be more aggressive about what to cut out for my schedule, my monthly schedule, so to speak. Yeah. And this kind of reminds me of something that we have explored on the show is that a lot of uh, like productivity is very personal. So all of our goals are going to be different from the next person over. And so while we do touch on lots of different topics and try to be as practical as possible, what works for you, Leo, and your goals and the people that you want to help, and in this case are like very different from my own because I have different goals and the people that I want to help are uh, different. And I think that's something that's valuable for people to keep in mind when they're establishing their own goals and trying to figure out how they can make progress is that you need that kind of level of reflection and refinement and making sure that everything that you're doing is in line with the people that you want to serve and help. Right. And if the audience isn't there, it's not really helpful to you to do those activities. I think that's the biggest thing is like, if there's an audience that's lacking and not receptive, then it's probably not worth your time to like really spend your time doing it. And especially as like other things have grown and worked out so well this year, like perhaps I should just keep doing what works than trying to like make something happen that isn't going to go. Yeah. Jumping back to that as well. You have discovered a, a few things that you want to double down on and put more focus on that have been working. And so yes. it makes sense that over the course of a year, you'll learn things that work well and you'll learn things that don't work well. And so having these moments where you can cut out the things that don't work as well, you can, uh, what's the expression? Conmari them? <laughs> no, I mean, that's a great way to think about it, right? It's like, 
thank you for everything you've done. You've served your purpose. Goodbye. You know, I haven't watched the show or read the books, but I kind of get that impression. Somebody can comment on Twitter that I said that wrong. But yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. So Leo, I'm looking at the calendar. We have one more episode left in the year and we don't have any guests lined up for that one. It'll be another, just you and I. Am I looking at this the right way? Yeah. So one thing we've actually been talking about is the future of this podcast. Right, Eric? Right. So we have both been in discussions about what we could do to either like grow the podcast or what we should do like to step back. And if I'm phrasing this correctly, I think we've decided that it might be worthwhile opportunity to kind of step back in 2020 when it comes to this podcast. Is that correct, Eric? Yeah, a bit of a hiatus, if you would. Yeah, and I think it'll be good in the next episode to kind of talk about how we came to that decision and what are some things that we would do differently as far as OK Productive in the future, but also what do we think we did right as far as this podcast and kind of do a little bit of a postmortem, at least as far as OK Productive is concerned. I know this may come as a shock to a lot of our audience, but I think it's always good, even as much as I love doing this podcast, I think it's important to uh, con Maria, I guess you can say, and say, this has been good, but we have to look at what we need to focus on, Eric and I, as far as our, our businesses and our personal goals for 2020. I think it'll be great in the next episode to kind of talk about, okay, what are some things that we did? What could we improve upon? And why are we uh, making this decision to kind of put the podcast on hiatus? Yeah, well put. Thank you. So we will have another episode this year in two weeks. And we will talk a little bit more about our kind of postmortem thoughts on OK Productive. And obviously from a productivity aspect and kind of give what we feel we could do to improve in the future and why we've come to this decision to kind of put the show on a hiatus. Sounds good to you, Eric. Yeah, it does. If you have any questions, let us know on social media. Where can people send their questions to? People can send our questions to, if they want to do it over email, you can reach us both at hello at okproductive.com, or you can always put a comment or a direct message us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And on all three locations, we're okproductive, all one word. All right. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Ta-ta.